I'm deeply honored to have my friend Mindy Gorman Plutz on episode number 31 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast and we're speaking about disordered eating, blood sugar imbalance, adrenal fatigue and sleep. Mindy brings 25 years of experience to her private practice as a certified functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner and eating psychology coach. Mindy's life experience and training inspired her to create a framework that combines functional nutrition, positive psychology, and mind-body science, introducing a compassionate resolution to physical and emotional challenges resulting from chronic and complex health issues as they relate to eating disorders. She is the author of The Freedom Promise, Seven Steps to Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do For You. We're talking about blood sugar irregularities caused by disordered eating patterns. How does this impact adrenal function, insulin resistance? How does this vicious loop subsequently play a role in the quality of sleep and what are the steps in the journey back to restorative eating and better sleep. If you struggle with any form of unhealthy eating patterns, take a listen. This episode is filled with compassionate information that can help you hold your hand and just begin that journey back to restorative eating. And another five-star rating and review from Apple Podcast from Nishi B, titled Holistic View. Deepa's passion and knowledge shines in this incredible podcast. Her approach to sleep is both nuanced and actionable. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone who wants to improve their sleep or simply take a deep dive into the science of sleep physiology and functional medicine eagerly awaiting more episodes of the sleep whisperer podcast and we'd like to thank you for taking a listen to the show in the last month our downloads have doubled and that's all just thanks to excellent wonderful and loyal listeners like yourself so just from our team thank you and uh, do show us a little extra love and leave us a review. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer Podcast. Mindy, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast and I've always loved the conversations that we've had. You're simply a star when it comes to talking about 
a positive approach to food and everything else, which is why I really wanted you here today. And I think that's a big differentiator, especially in the world today where diets have become so restrictive. And so there's almost sometimes a, a uncomfortable feeling attached to many diets and you bring that refreshing breath of fresh air where we're not left feeling uncomfortable and you're always encouraging everybody to take the positive road, which is simply remarkable. And today we are talking about um, how blood sugar imbalance and adrenal fatigue caused by disordered eating can cause sleep challenges. And although I must uh, say that I've done several episodes on different aspects of adrenal health and blood sugar. I was really looking forward to this one in particular because disordered eating is something that people, um, I think are not quite aware of the term, but a lot of us are following a path of disordered eating without perhaps wanting to be that way or we don't even realize we are eating in that manner. So I really want us to dive deep into this. And uh, if you might, before we just jump into the conversation, could you share a little bit about why are you so passionate about this specific subject of disordered eating? Oh, yes. First, Deepa, thank you so much for inviting me to be with you again. I always look forward to our conversations and your kind words are, are truly humbling to me and, and truly, truly felt. So thank you. I received the love and, and I'm thrilled to be here. Yes, this is a very interesting topic because for most people, and I'm very happy to share my story, but but this was for me a big part of the story that when we are engaged in disordered eating behaviors or clinically diagnosed eating disorders, and I know in our conversation, we're going to discuss the difference between disordered eating and eating disorders. But when we are engaged in such behaviors, they're basically fear-driven. Mm. Um, you know, the fear of what food will do to me rather than embracing what it can do for me. So the focus basically is on the food. It's not on the systems of the body that can be affected. And while we are eventually made aware of these consequences, these physical and psychological and emotional and mental consequences, the focus really remains on the food. So for me, how I came to this place of knowing, I, I like to think of it really as an awakening. It was through my recovery experience, which was following a very traditional conventional path, I realized I needed help. I was pretty much at my bottom, physically, emotionally, and spiritually bankrupt. I reached out to our family physician who sent me to therapy and who, and then from there I started seeing a dietitian. So basically I was engaging in weekly weigh-ins at the doctor's office, twice weekly therapy sessions and meetings with a dietitian. And for me, it became about being told what I should weigh, 
what I should think and feel and what I should be eating. But nobody was telling me what I was really hungry for. It was that connection mm. to self. It was that need to feel that I belonged. It was a desire, a deep, deep desire and need to feel safe and to feel safe in my body. But I being the good little girl that I was, <clears throat> I was at, I like to say that I was actually doing recovery, but I wasn't being recovered. When I started to study health coaching and then eating psychology, and then finally, and how deep, and I became connected through functional medicine nutrition, I learned how all of the systems of the body are connected. And I started to have an epiphany of sorts that I could do recovery differently if I started to embrace what food could do for me. And as I did that, I stopped fearing what it would do to me. And that put me on the path to creating what is now my signature framework, my seven steps to food freedom. And it's just been a wonderful experience to introduce the world to a functional approach, an unconventional approach, but an approach that honors who they are in their entirety. Beautiful, Wendy. And I think I really want us to have one little takeaway from what you said, and I'd like us to actually lead with that right through our conversation where you mentioned about how dietitians and diets, and I think I've been noticing in the last few days, so many posts on social media talking about 1,200 calorie diets, 1,500 calorie diets. And I've actually been, um, there have been nutritionists who've actually commented on some of my posts where I've spoken about how the functional approach doesn't look at calories or counting and they've challenged me on that. So I think that people to a large extent still go by the calorie in calorie out um, modality and it's very interesting that you spoke about how you had your epiphany and I think we've all had our epiphanies which is what leads us to our path of uh, focus and I think I'd like us to actually use this framework of how uh, low calorie diets can actually impact several aspects of health when we do go into our conversation but have you had times of poor sleep when you were going through all of this, your questioning phase, your discovery phase? What actually caused your sleep issues and how did it impact you? How did it impact your health as a woman? Because I do find that women are especially sensitive to lack of sleep. And uh, it impacts them in ways where perhaps it's far worse than anyone else. Such great points you bring up. Well, first of all, my personal experience with lack of sleep, um, certainly in the days where I was severely restricting calories, and I'm very happy you brought up that whole topic of calories, but when I was restricting calories, that meant I was also restricting food groups. So my blood sugar was certainly impacted. We know now 
how blood sugar irregularities, and I know we're going to take a deep dive into this, impact sleep. But the stress of the disordered eating, the stress of my behaviors impacted me greatly. And that, of course, impacted sleep. Um, the eating disorder itself put tremendous stress on my body, physically and psychologically, mentally and emotionally. And we all know that the body picks up on any stress, whether it's real or imagined, and reacts in kind. So my sleep was absolutely um, affected that way. Um, as a woman, you know, it's, it's interesting when, when you were talking about that, it brought up for me the fact that so many women are innately light sleepers, maybe because we are in tune to hearing the children if they wake up in the middle of the night. Don't, don't you always hear stories of women who say they hear the babies breathing and their husbands are dead asleep or partners are dead asleep and don't, don't react yes, in kind? Absolutely. So I, I think that's a big part of it too. You know, I don't know if it is science, a scientific anomaly or if it is just the way we are wired or if it's a cultural thing. But I think women are basically light sleepers by nature for that reason. Um, maybe it's part of survival. I don't know, you know, being that we're the mama bears and are responsible for protecting the young. But for me, how it affected me was that I couldn't be there for my family. You know, I, I was not functioning mm. to my full capacity. You know, I wasn't the mom I needed to be. I wasn't the, the wife and life partner that I, I needed to be. And I really just wasn't fully present. And then of course that takes its toll. And how did that feel? How did that feel for you, just not being present and? Well, I have to say that the, the whole, the entirety of the eating disorder, the, the disordered eating behaviors come from a place of being a split off self, split off sense of self. There's the eating disorder self and the healthy self. And they're constantly mm. at each other, fighting fighting. And usually, unfortunately, the disordered eating voice gets the last word. And with that comes a sense of a disassociation. You know, we, we are very good when we're in the throes of it to numbing, avoiding, and distracting from feelings and emotions that we deem to be intolerable. There's a lot of fear. We're, we're living in a mindset of scarcity rather than a mindset of abundance. And that basically cuts us off from the, the enormity of the life experience. I think I'm going to ask you to go a little deeper a bit later about your um, statement of scarcity versus abundance because that's a beautiful concept by itself. And I think I would like to dive deeper into that, but Let's actually talk about what does constitute disordered eating because a lot of times I myself, Mindy, until I spoke to you a while ago, I just assumed that eating disorders was only um, as severe as anorexia and I know that that's not the case and you go a lot into several aspects of 
something which which could all be doing every day binge eating disordered eating so what actually do you mean by disordered eating well wikipedia defines disordered eating as a variety of abnormal eating behaviors that just by themselves don't warrant a clinical diagnosis of an eating disorder so symptoms of disordered eating can include but are not limited to behaviors that are associated with eating disorders, but they're, they're to a lesser degree. So um, the symptoms would be food restriction, mm. binge eating. And, and I wanna say with binge eating, eating to the point of, past the point of fullness and very often to the point of being very uncomfortable. Binge eating, people describe it as happening in a void. And of course we can talk more about that. Um, stress eating, some people call it emotional eating. Purging, purging could, could be accomplished via self-induced vomiting or excessive exercise, use of laxatives, diet pills, you know, um, appetite suppressants. Um, mm. But disordered eating can also include um, psychological and emotional and mental elements such as self-worth being based on body shape or weight. Um, a disordered and view of the way one experiences her body, you know, looking in the mirror and seeing something different than the world sees, um, even though this person might be falling into a healthy weight range. Then of course yes. there's excessive or a rigid exercise routine, you know, needing to work out a certain way every day and feeling very guilty if it doesn't come to be. Obsessive calorie counting, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. I would love to talk about that concept. Then there's anxiety, confusion, and even fear about certain foods or food groups. And then that brings about a very <clears throat> rigid approach to eating. Only eating, eating certain foods, excuse me. <clears throat> Got a frog in my throat this time. And Mindy, while, yes. In fact, while you're sipping on your water, I must say that I actually <coughs> didn't realize that purging was something so common, Mindy. But in the last few months, I've come across several people who actually talk about purging. And I've asked them, so did was that conscious or not? And some of them have said it's conscious. I overeat and then I let my, because I feel so uncomfortable after that, I purge. And there have been people who say, no, I eat to the point where it just happens. Uh, so I actually didn't realize it was so common and you're so right about the exercise because I think a lot of what you mentioned now, Mindy, does play into our technological era where social media does feed on people's insecurities and vulnerabilities because there's so many posts of uh, the perceived perfect body and then if you don't feel that you fit into that um, bracket then there's something missing with you now I can proudly say that I'm not a um, size zero or anywhere close to that but I'm extremely uh, comfortable with where I am and for me food is about health but I know that not 
everyone is in a space of such comfort where they're free of uh, being uh, judged or free of feeling vulnerable because they're being inadvertently can, uh, compared to something which is where you're supposed to be. So a lot of what you spoke about is more common than we think. Yes, but what is very important for our audience to recognize is that the disordered eating behavior is not the problem. It starts out as a brilliant solution. So what mm. you're talking about now, people's need to be smaller, people's need to, to create this image of themselves for the world to see, people that are so influenced by the influencers on social media are really suffering from a deeper underlying issue. You know, yes. um, I, I, I like to refer to it as, as the disease of not enough. In fact, the very first step in my seven step signature framework is find you're enough. Because mm. if we don't feel that we are enough, then the freshly baked brownie, the new pair of shoes, the glass or two of wine is never going to do it for us. So what we need to do as practitioners and as supportive people, caretakers, we need to understand that these behaviors are being driven by misguided beliefs. And that is very, very important to understand. And when the, the person struggling with the eating disorders realize this, the fact that they can honor that they're doing the best that they can at the moment, and then there are bigger issues that need to be addressed, it, it becomes very empowering. They realize they're not broken. And taking it a step further, and what we're going to take a deeper dive into, when we introduce the concept of physiological issues, physiological um, impacts to the body and how physiology impacts psychology and how psychology impacts physiology, it opens up a whole new world of the possibility of healing because then mm. the person struggling realizes they're not broken yes. and that these issues can be addressed and they can stop feeding their anxiety and they can help themselves get better sleep. And that's where the healing begins. But I just wanna say one, one thing about disordered eating behaviors too. Um, very often, and this we can't forget this, um, while disordered eating, as I said, is a result of misinformation spurred on by misguided beliefs, Disordered eating can occur as a result of chronic illness. The person suffering could be restricting food as a result of fearing what food will do to her, not for reasons related to weight or image, but reasons related to health, right? Pain. Um, pain, um, GI distress, inflammation. And so what happens is the, the restricting can, can become larger. Another issue that has to be addressed from the practitioner's point of view is that we, we have to be careful how we introduce therapeutic protocols. Very often functional medicine practitioners talk about elimination diets. That is the, the most dangerous <clears throat> term to use with somebody who could be triggered by disordered eating behaviors. 
because the person who is prone to restrict is going to embrace that concept of eliminating more food. But the person who is, right. is expressing their emotions, expressing their fears by overeating um, who, or processing emotion, I should say, through the behavior of overeating to the point where they're numbing, avoiding, distracting their feelings because they're stuffing them down with food, eliminating food, taking food away could just trigger more, a, more, a bigger sense of deprivation. So we really have to be careful how we introduce these therapeutic protocols. And that's why history, taking a proper history is so important, understanding the person sitting before us, what his or her story is, um, how, what their relationship to self is like, because relationship to self is reflected in our relationship to everything else. Mm. And I'm assuming that so in an approach like this, a diet which is so popular today, such as intermittent fasting would definitely be an area of caution to begin with, wouldn't it? It's funny you say that. I find sometimes with my clients who are struggling with binge eating, who are mm. habitual overeaters, you know, who sit down in front of the television at night with a bowl of popcorn or a container of ice cream or a box of cookies. The structure of intermittent fasting could be helpful as long as mm. it's flexible and as long as it's um, introduced carefully without having that, that specter of, of deprivation or severe restriction about it. Um, sometimes it helps to shift the behavior. I don't recommend it for people who are restrictive eaters. You know, it, it's certainly not re recommended for that. And then again, it's not recommended for people who have adrenal or blood sugar issues. So it, it has to be very bio-individual, but sometimes it can be very good from a behavioral aspect and that alone. And then of course, there, there's the, the digestive benefits of intermittent fasting. So sometimes just introducing a 10 or a 12 hour window, a non-feeding window, I like to call it rather than fasting um, is helpful to somebody who needs to address some, some issues. Okay, so you're talking about a much uh, smaller frame. So that's actually good to know because a lot of people jump into 16 and 18 hour uh, non-feeding windows. And um, that's, I do see them struggling a lot with blood sugar issues when they just jump into that. So it's good that you differentiated that. Now, and since you did mention blood sugar and adrenal function, and since we are talking about that today, what does disordered eating of any kind actually do to the physiology? So how does it impact blood sugar and adrenal function? What actually happens within the body? And what does that look like for somebody who might not understand uh, what is adrenal function or how does blood sugar imbalance feel? So just talk us through actually how does that look like? Well, let's start with the blood sugar piece. Um, 
So let's say from the perspective of the binge eater, the overeater, the compulsive eater, the stress eater, they're usually turning to high sugar, highly processed foods, right? Eating such foods can cause something we call reactive hypoglycemia because the sudden rise in blood glucose from the sugary food triggers an overproduction of insulin. And Deepa, please tell me if I'm getting a little too scientific here. I'm no, sure not you... at all. Okay, I'm sure you no, can speak to that. Okay. Yes. Um, so the overproduction of insulin, which in turn makes the blood glucose levels fall, sometimes this overproduction of insulin in response to the overconsumption of high sugary foods will cause the blood glucose levels to fall too low too quickly. So this in turn creates, the, creates a feel in the body of shakiness, weak, dizzy. Um, I've heard it described that it almost creates an aura um, around you. You know, you feel kind of disassociated. Um, now, conversely, the restrictive type of disorder eater needs to realize that our body uses simple sugar, glucose as fuel for energy. And where do we get glucose from? The carbohydrates we eat. So if we don't eat regularly, or if we fear carbohydrates like so many people do today, um, our body doesn't have access to glucose. And as a result, blood sugar again will lower causing hypoglycemia. And you know the, the science here is that the presence of glucose in the bloodstream signals our pancreas to release insulin, which attaches to the glucose and carries it into the cells. And the cells use the glucose that they need, and then the rest is converted to glycogen and stored in the body for use at another time. So if you go for a period of time without eating, your blood sugar lowers, your pancreas releases then a different hormone called glucagon. See, this is where all the symptoms of the body are connected, triggers the liver to release the, the glycogen. And if you go too long without eating, the stores become depleted, leaving you without a source of energy. And then we also need to remember that glucose is the preferred source of energy for your brain. To function properly, our brains need the supply of glucose, which comes from eating regularly. And remember, a starved body creates a starved brain. And that is very, why very often when restrictive type eaters are, are, are restricting so intensely, all they're doing is thinking about food because their brains are literally starving as well. And, and then, of course, the symptoms of lowered blood sugar, as I said, confusion, double vision, blurred vision, could be shakiness, anxiety for sure, hunger, which we're very good at denying when we're in the throes of an eating disorder, um, even heart palpitations. Headaches, headaches. Yes, 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 absolutely. Even increased perspiration. So the best way to ensure blood sugar balance is to consume meals and snacks that offer a good ratio of protein, fiber from quality carbohydrates, and fat from healthy yes. sources. 
Yes, absolutely. I think carbs has become such a bad word. And in India, especially, actually in India has moved from eating a predominantly carb diet to now suddenly going the other way around and fearing everything about carbs. And um, I think we are vilifying it in a way that we did to fats many decades ago. And it's, it's, I think what you spoke about that we need balance is very key, especially with blood sugar issues. But um, how does you took us through literally a mini masterclass of blood sugar physiology? And I like to know how does somebody who is experiencing that kind of a physiological blood sugar imbalance fluctuation, uh, the spiking and crashing, how does all that actually impact their adrenal function? And uh, where does the adrenal function play a role in all what we're talking about, both in terms of sleep, as well as uh, coming back to a disordered eating uh, approach? I believe that we have to address the stress factor, okay? The stress factor that is sparking yes. the disordered eating, number one. And then, of course, the stress to the body that the disordered eating is creating. It's also very important to know that adrenal function is very much tied to blood sugar function. Um, when we're in a stress response, our bodies are going to produce more cortisol when we're in that stress response and producing more cortisol, the stress hormone, which is actually a, a very positive phenomenon because the cortisol is designed to get us out of that, away from the, the threat, right? Help us run away from the tiger. But that is only right. supposed to last really for about four minutes, I think. When yes. the stress is prolonged, the cortisol stays elevated. Insulin, which is produced at the same time the cortisol is to help get us out of danger, they work hand in hand. Insulin's job is to, as you know, take glucose out of the cells, but also that whole process causes our bodies to store fat, which mm. in itself can become another stress to the body. Yeah. So it's really... I, it's a vicious cycle. We, we're creating a loop. One is literally yeah. feeding the other. Yes, absolutely. So stress, just to, to sum it up, stress actually raises our blood sugar levels because then it provides fuel to the muscles so we can run out of danger. The increasing insulin becomes resistant to do what it's supposed to do so that the other cells won't use up the glucose that the muscles need to run away from the danger. But by increasing the insulin resistance, the stress, stress can make us extremely tired. So again, we get into this loop, we get into this loop and what happens? Fatigue ensues. Our bodies and brain just aren't gonna have enough fuel. So they just wanna, basically keep napping. So this is where the long-term effect of stress can be worse than that imminent danger. And then we have all this pressure on the adrenal glands resulting in 
adrenal fatigue. And these glands, you have to realize, not only do they produce cortisol, but they produce adrenaline, they produce DHEA, and other chemicals that make up and are supposed to protect us from the stress response. If they're overtaxed all the time, they can't do our job. And very often people who are in that adrenal fatigue <clears throat> place, they feel as though they can't even handle the stress that is before them. There is no stress management. They feel totally incapable of moving out of that stress response. Yes, that's actually a very profound what you said, because that's exactly what somebody feels. And it seems everything seems so overwhelming to them. The world looks overwhelming, change looks overwhelming, and it's simply impossible to uh, find where to begin in that vicious loop to actually restore some semblance of balance. And uh, you spoke about adrenal fatigue. I want to stay there briefly because I wanted, I know that there are a few different phases and it can play out differently on how sleep is affected. Sometimes it's that a person's nighttime cortisol is so elevated that they just can't fall asleep. Sometimes it's what you spoke about that they reach a point of such fatigue that no amount of sleep seems enough. So how do you actually feel that it impacts sleep overall? And where do you see somebody beginning if they're struggling with all of this disordered eating, blood sugar imbalance, adrenal fatigue, and poor sleep? Ah, again, this is where all of the systems of the body are connected. So sleep is dictated by what we refer to as circadian rhythms, our body's natural timing for when we should sleep, wake up, feel energized and get hungry. And, and to hunger, I, I also wanna add hormonally, when we are sleep deprived, our bodies produce more of the hunger hormone, ghrelin, and less of the fullness mm. hormone, leptin, which is why people who are sleep deprived complain that they are hungry or they are night eaters. Now, those night mm -hmm. eaters are wreaking havoc on their blood sugar balance because the foods that they're drawn to during this time of day are again going to be those highly processed high sugar foods, which are going to raise blood sugar which makes it very, very difficult to fall into a deep sleep. The stress involved in that, again, raises cortisol levels, which makes it very difficult to fall into a restful sleep. So there's a lot behind these changes in energy and mood that are driven in large part by hormones and other bodily functions. So if you have high blood sugar, like I just talked about by eating late at night, which would be hyperglycemia, your body is not gonna to respond to insulin as well as it should. So you're gonna have higher blood sugar levels that are gonna keep your body in a state of chronic stress. The chronic stress is gonna elevate the cortisol, making it difficult to sleep. So there you are in this loop. And then there's the other part of, of this equation where stress itself is a trigger for insomnia. 
right? The, it yes. has a huge effect. Stress is a huge effect on our nervous system. Worrying about finances, worrying about social unrest, worrying about this, this global um, health crisis that we're, we're all experiencing now makes our nervous system more alert. So it's more difficult for the body to fully relax and sleep deeply. And uh, I think it's a sensitive thing what you just mentioned because the truth is that we are in difficult, cha challenging times today and there ha are people genuinely deeply affected financially and it is a big source of stress. So it's bound to be that this impact is going to last for many people for a very long time and we must appreciate all their challenges uh, and perhaps the difficult road that lies ahead for so many people. Um, and stress, yes, stress. In fact, I think in all our episodes, the biggest reasons for poor sleep have always been uh, stress, which has come up. And um, I just want to ask you, how do we journey back to restorative eating and better sleep? We, you know, of course, so much of what we're talking about requires stress management on a very deep level. You know, then we also have how we're styling our lives, appropriate movement, proper hydration, balanced nutrition. But we can't have this conversation without including the concept of gut health. It's yes. all, it all starts with the gut right? Our gut is where neurotransmitters are converted. It's where our blood sugar, the balance and imbalance starts. Um, it's about the messages that the gut sends to the brain and the brain is sending to the gut. 95% um, of our serotonin comes from the gut. So it's very important that what we are feeding ourselves is not feeding our anxiety. We have to be very careful that what we're feeding ourselves is giving us the proper balance of nutrients, yes, but it's also helping our brain chemistry, the neurotransmitters, the amino acids that we need to, to fully function and think properly. Um, are, are in the right place, that our hunger hormones are working properly so that we are making the right choices, that we feel empowered as human beings rather than feeling like we're victims, that we stand in our power, that we look at food for what it is, information for the body. It's neither good nor bad. And if we eat an imperfect food, it doesn't make us an imperfect person. So we really need to yes. start with that, the basics, good nutrition, breath, meditation, if it helps, calm the mind, calm the body. And looking at story, what are the parts of your story that are no longer serving you well? Turn the page on that story. Your story will always be your story and it's worth honoring because it got you to where you are today but you can turn the page, have a blank page and begin to write what will become your happily ever after. Yes. 
And I think that also illustrates that beautiful statement you brought to us right at the very beginning of our conversation, which was scarcity versus abundance. And I think that's a great approach when you're talking about this. And you did talk about a more healthy approach to eating. So I'd like us to stay there for a few moments and just uh, what does that actually look like? So if somebody were struggling with disordered eating, what would be some guidelines for them on where to actually begin to have a healthy approach to eating and food itself? See, I think a lot of it depends on education and of course, going back to story. When I work with a new client, I spend a lot of time with them, helping them to understand where their messaging, where their belief system around food and their bodies came from. What were the messages they received? Were they healthy messages? Were they disordered or dysfunctional messages? Where did they come from? Can you see now how they're having an impact on their, on, on their lives? Is it true for you? How can it be reframed? So that's a big part of where we start. Because as I said, the eating disorder, the disordered eating is, is a result of the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. And very often the problem is misguided information, misguided beliefs, misinformation. Um, and it could be something as simple as needing to be influenced by social media influencers. And why is that? What's lacking? So I, the first step is helping somebody step back into their power, take their power back, help them realize that they are more powerful than any food that they could put on their plate. And that true nourishment, what truly nourishes us, our relationships, our purpose, our spirituality, our movement is not found in the kitchen. So that's where we start. And then of course, proper feeding, right? First we eat, then we talk so that we can receive the nutrients we need to receive to be in a place of feeling better. I often compare digestion to life, right? So we wanna digest, absorb, assimilate and metabolize the foods that we put in our bodies. But in order to do that, we need to be able to digest, absorb, assimilate, and metabolize life that is around us. You know, it, very often people will come to me and they'll say, oh, you know, if I could just get my relationship with food fixed, my, my life will be so much more improved. It doesn't work that way. It has to start with your relationship to self, your relationship to life, finding acceptance, compassion, and sometimes forgiveness for what has evolved. And then your relationship with food will find its rightful place. That's wonderful, Mindy. In fact, I must add here that, have you watched somebody do a sun salutation in yoga? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I always tell my yoga students over the last two decades that 
uh, no pose in that sequence is meant to be perfect. Instead, it's supposed to illustrate that you enjoy the journey of life rather than focusing on a specific destination. And it sounded a lot like what you just mentioned about uh, just the whole process. And it's not really about a perfect space where everything looks ideal. And I also want to add one thing, Mindy, especially in India, which I think is also a form of disordered eating is that there are a lot of women who actually feel guilty to put their health first. And uh, when I talk to them, there's so many of them who make excuses for why they can't put together a better breakfast for themselves because they have to take care of everybody else. And uh, they've had decades of feeling that they're not worth it, that their purpose in life is simply to take care of somebody. And uh, the reframe is always that if you want healthy and perfect yourself, how could you continue to help those people? So you matter. And when I've actually told somebody, make an affirmation that I'm as important to myself, they've actually taken that because they feel they need it. So I would consider even neglecting your health at the sake of everybody else, a form of disordered eating. And it's also seen in situations where somebody feels guilty as a wife or a woman in India to eat their lunch unless the husband has come home and has been fed. And even if it's four in the evening and he's been delayed, there are women who don't eat their lunch waiting for that moment. And I consider that as well a form of disordered eating. I agree with you. Absolutely. But again, this speaks to an underlying issue. It speaks to the underlying issue of worthiness. It speaks to the underlying yes. issue of scarcity rather than abundance. And it also speaks to a difficulty with sitting in the discomfort of making change and asking for what you need. Mm. It's very uncomfortable for a lot of people. It, it was for me for a very long time. And to some degree, yeah. on, on some occasions it still is. But what I've learned is that it's far less uncomfortable than sitting in the discomfort of ill health, whether it's emotional well-being or physical well-being. And that's where we get to make a choice. And it can be handled with grace and dignity. And um, we can set the example. We can be role models for our children, male and female, so that male children can grow up knowing that women are worthy and valuable and women can grow up feeling that they are valuable and worthy. Um, yes. but it takes consistency. It takes work and baby steps, but every small step yes. leads you closer to the destination. And I love what you talked about setting, setting the intention, you know, setting that intention and, and asking yourself, if I stay where I am now, what will my life look like in a year, 
five years from now? If I move out of this place, what will my life look like in a year from now, five years from now? Yes. Mindy, in all your years of working with clients in several forms of disordered eating, what have you found has been the most powerful intervention? What I referred to before, honoring one's story. The realization that the eating disorder, the disordered eating is not the problem, but it evolved as a solution, a brilliant solution to the parts of one's story that are too difficult to process. Um, the, the knowledge that eating disorder behaviors, disordered eating behaviors are a language of their own. When we have difficult articulating, expressing emotion, we act out. And it's important to note that food is such a common form of self -soothing. Very, very first experience with being seen, heard, and nurtured. As soon as we're born, that very first experience of warmth and attention comes from being held, whether it's the mother's breast or, or even bottle fed. And that memory stays stored deep within us forever in the limbic system of part of our brain. So that's, that is the most profound intervention, that you are not broken, that there is no quick fix, and you are on a journey. And it's that journey to connect to the wisdom of the body relationship to self. I often say, when you sit down to the table, invite your body as an honored guest, because so many people who struggle with disordered eating behaviors are so disassociated from their bodies. You know, and, and you alluded to so many different incidences where we, you know, are um, counting calories, eat this, don't eat that, move this way, don't move that way. It's all coming from outside of ourselves. We need to connect to the deepest part of ourselves, the parts that we can always return home to, where we're always safe, where there's no fear, there's only love. Connect to that part of your body, invite it to the table, and really, really learn to enjoy the eating experience. Bring emotion to the table. That's beautiful. And I think I would also add just, um, um, the realization that each of us is unique, that we have our individual needs and perhaps we don't always have to follow what works for somebody else. We probably need to discover that for ourselves, baby, one baby step at a time. Exactly. Beautiful, Mindy. Beautiful. I think I personally have taken a lot away from our conversation today and what I particularly loved was opening that new page of my book. And I'm definitely going to bring that to my own life. Uh, what do you feel has been the biggest root cause of poor sleep in your mind? Because there's 100 million people and more struggling with sleep challenges. I think it's stress. There's a pervading sense of anxiety throughout the world. And then yes. of course, I think it's our food supply. I think it is um, 
food that is manufactured in such a way that we truly can't eat just one. I think that is the, it's the commercialization of not only food, but the commercialization of our lives, the commercialization of our thoughts. We all need to return to basics. Yes. Um, beautiful, Mindy. In fact, when you say basics, I'm reminded of um, in Eastern symbolism, there's this belief of four yugas of four time periods. And uh, we are considered to be in the last age where um, morality has fallen, degradation is high. Um, community, a sense of community is much lower today where everything feels a little disconnected. And I'm reminded of some of our ancient villages where uh, everyone knew each other on the street. You could walk into anyone's home at any time of the day and you could eat as if it was your own home. So I think just restoring a personal connection, I think that's very important to me, even in this technological age where, uh, for example, Mindy, now we've met over video calls and we know each other in a deep way, but... I would definitely love to actually physically meet you, give you a hug too. I think that makes a world of difference. Uh, using the technological space to build these great friendships, but then find a way if you can actually take that forward into a more personal uh, connecting experience. I think that can also help transform many things. I'm not going to take too much of your time, Mindy. I want to honor it. But just a last sleep is mantra. If sleep is the new medicine, then how would you complete that? Uh, if sleep is the new medicine, then we must slow down, stick to a consistent schedule, and honor that you are worthy of a better quality of life. Thank you, Mindy. It was a great, great conversation, deeply sensitive, very touching, very, very profound. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving me your time today and sharing your wise words of wisdom for all of us. Um, and just a big virtual hug, hoping to be a physical one someday soon. Oh, yes. You know, while we're talking about hormones, oxytocin is probably yeah. the most important one, the one that's released, the, lo the love hormone. So yeah. I'm with you, Deepa. I'm sending you back a virtual hug and receiving your love. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to your audience. They're so lucky to have you. Thank you, Mindy. I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help, 
on your health journey do seek out a medical practitioner please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional it is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding if you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro It is important that you have someone who's qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health conditions.